Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the fourth ever episode of my latest sports podcast on the market. Here's Johnny. I'm your host, Jonathan Johnny Tim. I took all of last week off of recording due to an extremely busy schedule. As you guys may have saw on my Instagram and Twitter, life is a student athlete with a bunch of other duties. And especially as finals week is approaching, a lot of big projects, a lot of stuff going on. But however, I'm able to get you guys this weekly episode and I'll have a bonus episode next week. I'll talk more about that towards the end. I will be starting a new series in addition to my weekly episode. I'll be talking about that, like I said, towards the end of the episode after we get into some content here. made some history last episode when I finally brought in intro music as part of the show. But like I also said in previous episodes, I would include guests on my podcast to talk some sports. And today I have a really special guest on the podcast with me. As I mentioned in my first episode, I'm going to school for sports broadcasting. And the guy I'm about to introduce to you guys, he's been a very good mentor to me all year long through St. Norbert basketball, women's basketball, covered a lot of games this year. Um, I recently got into softball games. However, with this busy schedule, I'm just trying to find ways to include my broadcasting podcast and just balance life in general. So I'm sure I'll get to more games down the road this season, but Tony G nation is here on the podcast with me today. Tony G is a senior here at St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. He is the current PA announcer of Northwoods League Baseball. He happens to be addressing the Green Bay Rockers this summer. Last summer, they were initially known as the Green Bay Booyah. Like I said, he's the PA announcer. Truly an incredible voice for sports and truly an incredible man in general that I'm happy to call a friend and acquaintance. So with that, I'd like you all to meet Tony Giordana. Tony, how are we doing today? Doing well, Johnny. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Listen, that was one heck of a nice introduction. And I'll tell you one thing. I can reciprocate those same feelings right back to you. I think you're doing great starting off here. And one of the biggest parts, I like how you're open about, you know, this podcast is just starting and you're fixing things up and you're putting in new intro music and stuff like that. Hey, man, you are going to be a podcast to listen to and a broadcaster to listen to for sure for the next couple of years, especially in Green Knight Athletics. So thanks for having me on. I look forward to what we talk about today. Of course, it's going to be definitely interesting having not or not having the voice of Tony Giordana up in the broadcast booth next year. However, I am more than prepared to take on the challenges. Um, obviously, you are the primary broadcaster and I would be the color analyst as I'm a former basketball player. So we made a great team. However, this I think this might be our last time on a mic together unless something changes, but hopefully that's not the case. So with that, let's talk about your your most recent job on the air behind the mic. You were the EMC for the Norby Awards for St. Norbert College. I believe that was Tuesday night. And I must say the job you did was incredible and the audacity and courage you had to insult <laughs> or I shouldn't say insult, but just to tease some of the bigger faces of St. Norbert Athletics. Um, 
describe how describe what was going through your mind when you decided to throw some of the insults and some just overall good clean humor to the as big names of St. Albert Athletics. Well, I said it. Uh, thank you for the um, introduction and for the uh, the compliments of the job I did hosting the Norby Awards. You're right. It was Tuesday night. So just about two days ago. And I, I mentioned this when I was on stage that when St. Norbert College Athletics reached out to me, it was initially Morgan Stacy, who is the senior women administrator for the athletics department. She was the one that really put this whole event together. She did a great job with it. And she brought me in and she was like, well, this is like our Oscars. This is what St. Norbert does to you know, the athletics department does to, you know, celebrate some of the athletes and the seasons that they had. And so I, and again, again, I said this word for word on stage. I was like, naturally, I took that as an invitation to just come up here and roast some athletics department members live in front of their peers. So let's do that. And in drawing up jokes, I'm not a comedian. I've always been a sports guy. I have a good sense Mm -hmm. of humor, but I had never planned out jokes for a live event before. Like that was the first time I ever did that. And so I thought I got to make this funny, but there's one rule. I'm not going to attack any personal, any personal um, qualities of a person that, you know, I'm not going to attack how they look. I'm not going to attack, you know, something I'm not here to ruin the night for anybody. There was, of course. you know, the, uh, the whole slew of jokes that were all, I knew that the people I was making fun of would have a good sense of humor about it. Brian Brees, the St. Norbert college president was there. I had two jokes written up for him. I knew that he would be big on those. I called Mike Walwick, the head bas- baseball coach, excuse me, bald. <laughs> that one, that one was uh, one that the players liked to think more than he did, but he still had a good sense of humor about it. And then, you know, Mike Pant was another one, senior basketball player. He's a good dude. I don't think I've ever heard him. I've known him. We're both seniors. So I've known him since my first day here. And I knew that he, was going to be all right with that. And then Ben Cole and some of the other football guys too, I knew that they would, they wouldn't mind. So in the moment I was like, I just hope, I just hope these go over well. Even if I get like a slight chuckle, it's a win. And the, (laughs) the reactions to some of the jokes were a lot bigger than I had, that I had anticipated. And so I was, I was happy with it. Good stuff, Tony. And I can definitely confirm as an athlete attending the Norby awards and upon everyone else there that, it was an entertaining show. So I know some people were kind of eh about the Norby Awards and how it would be so-called boring, but you put a smile on everyone's face and it was a good time for all of us athletes. And hey, um, we got named uh, Team of the Year for you did. men's track and field. So that was probably my highlight of the night in addition yeah. to your attempted humor, which turned out <laughs> more than just okay. I'll put it yeah, that way. It turned out to land. Yeah, congratulations on that, by the way. Team of the Year for the men's track and field team. Thank Huge you, thank accomplishment. You. All right. So with that, that's a little bit about Tony G and some of the stuff he does. Obviously, we just talked about his EMC job for the Norby Awards. So with that, let's get into some content today for the sports podcast. Um, so today we're going to discuss the NBA playoffs. Currently, we're still in the first round for the most part. Bucks, Celtics will be the Eastern Conference semifinals. They are the first put together series for the second round. Um, we'll talk a little about the Bucks bowl series that just wrapped up last night. Uh, we're also going to talk some brewers as the month of April finishes up right now. They are standing top of the central division. And then we'll also talk about some Packers draft. Now we're recording this 428, 2022. The first round of the draft is tonight, and this will not be uploaded and on the market 
until tomorrow. So everything we say is in is in anticipation for what will happen tonight. So with that being said, let's go back and start talking about the NBA playoffs, the Bucks Bowl series. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about Wisconsin sports. However, I will not be biased towards any other team, but my knowledge will go towards the Wisconsin teams, as I mentioned in my first episode. So the Bucks Bowl series just finished up last night. Bucks win the series four to one. Now, all of this happened without all-star guard Chris Middleton, but I must say the Milwaukee Bucks did not skip a beat with his absence. Yesterday, led by margins of 27 points in both the first and second half, final score 116 to 100 over the Bulls in Milwaukee. So really, other than falling in game two in Milwaukee, 114 to 110, the Bucks seem to be very crisp throughout the series and Tony, I'll ask you some questions more about that in a bit. But the Bulls were not at their high hand either. So not bashing the Bucks' win of the series. But however, especially in last night's game, the Bulls' guard presence just was not there. Now, obviously, they went into the series without Lonzo Ball. So Alex Caruso had to run the point. But last night, no Lonzo Ball, no Zach Levine, no Alex Caruso. And really, just no guard play from the Bulls as a whole. So Bucks definitely took advantage of that. So Tony, I'm going to ask you, what do you think went well for the Bucks in that first series? Just to start things out as they make an attempt to remain the defending champions of the NBA. Well, first off, let me say this. That was a professional move by you. I do this all the time to say, yeah, I'm from a Wisconsin market, but we're going to talk about this. I'm not going to be biased about it, but if you, if you don't like what you hear, that's all right, because I'm not being biased. So that's a great, that's a professional attribute you just did. I do that all the time as well. And it's same thing for me here in this discussion. We're from a Wisconsin market, but I'm going to be unbiased when I say this. What went right for the Bucks in this first series was in watching this, I mean, you watched game one and the score wasn't really transparent of how these two teams were playing because it was like the Bucks had control all the way through, but it was a close score. And after that game one, it was like, there was this vibe of, all right, the Bulls might win a game or two, but this is going to be the Bucks series. And you saw that play out throughout the rest of the series. You said, and, I, and I'm with you on this. There was no guard presence for the heat or not the heat for the Bulls. And all series long, was that because of the Bulls or was that because of the Bucks? Because we know the Bucks are a great defensive team. We know that Giannis was not as surprisingly not as high in defensive player of the year voting, but he was in, up there as was Drew Holiday. So in looking at that, was it defense and lockdown play from Milwaukee or was it just the fact that the Bulls didn't show up when they had to and they didn't get any momentum on their side? This was the Bucks series from game one. And I think some of the scores throughout the rest of the series really reciprocated how lopsided these two teams were. Yeah, the Bulls got into the playoffs. Yeah, you know, they're starting to kind of figure things out after this rebuilding process, and they're starting to look better. But this definitely was not the year. It'll take maybe another year or two for them to get to a place where they're going to be a top seed consistently and make deep runs into the playoffs. But this wasn't the year. Milwaukee was the team tabbed to win and move on from game one, and they did that. The Bulls never really showed up in any sort of capacity, not to mention it's like Giannis every night, even regular season, postseason, it's like that guy is just hard to stop. So I think I think as much as it was the Bulls didn't show up, it was just as much or maybe even more that the Bucks just outplayed them and looked like the better team all series long. And with that, 
Um, the Bulls really didn't have anybody, I guess, talented enough to handle Giannis in transition, especially in last night's game. I feel like Giannis just earned whatever he wanted. Um, Nikola Vukovic had a decent series overall, but DeMar DeRozan, he really emerged this year with the Bulls. However, just too little, too late. And so it's the Bucs going on to play the Boston Celtics in round two. Now, we talked about the Bulls' lack of defense, and the Bucs, I guess, really stepped it up on defense. But next series, it'll be a battle of some of the best defenders in the league. Marcus Smart for the Boston Celtics, current Defensive Player of the Year, as he was named that a week ago. Um, Jalen Brown's going to also be a challenge. And longtime veteran Al Horford, once again, back on the big stage. So what adjustments do you think the Bucs will need to be what adjustments, I should say, need to be made in preparation for going up against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals? That's a very good question. And I think you hit it right on the head because, you know, I just mentioned that Giannis and Drew both had defensive player of the year's year voting. You know, they were up there in the final stats or final tallies. But then Marcus Smart was the guy who got it. So when you look at another Celtics Bucks series coming our way, it's like, you know, strap in because these two teams throughout the last decade, oh, maybe that's too long, throughout the last six, seven years have just been going at it in the playoffs. And I think the adjustments that need to be made for the book for the Bucks have to include preparing to play without Chris Middleton because we just found out that probably or most likely Chris Middleton is going to be unavailable throughout this entire series, which sucks. Let's put that honestly. Let's get that out there because I remember a couple of years ago, I was still in high school. So this is about five years ago now when it was Bucks Celtics in the playoffs and Chris Middleton hit that unbelievable shot with like, what was it? 1.3 seconds left on the clock. I mean, he just mm-hmm. got the ball off the inbound spun up and just like lofted it in the air and said a prayer. And then it fell through. I think his presence in these historical series against the Celtics for the Bucks is what's going to be missed the most. And that might be pointing out the obvious, but I think in definitely previewing this series, you have your hands full with Tatum and with Smart and with Brown, and not to mention Al Horford, who I've said this year after year, is just a buck killer. I mean, that guy, every single season, without fail, takes over at least one game a year when the Bucks play them. And sometimes it's one game in the regular season and then another game in the postseason, and it's like, you have to find some sort of way to stop Al Horford, a guy who currently leads the team, the Celtics, in rebounds per game. So if you can play the big man game and match up against him down low underneath the hoop, you're going to give yourself the best chance to win. I think that is really the key. Win down low in every single game, and you're going to be fine. But once you start getting out into the fact that you're not going to win down low, Horford's going to be a menace down there. You have to start playing the perimeter game with no Chris Middleton. Things just aren't going to go good for the Bucs. Listen, unbiased, we said that at the start of this discussion, I don't know that the Bucs can pull this out without Chris Middleton. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I'm not counting them out by any means. But if I'm going to make an honest prediction, I think after the Celtics rolling with some momentum, after they just steamrolled the Nats, this might be the Celtics series this year. That definitely is a possibility. And something I also want to talk about, well, back to the Bucks celtics series, game one will take place May 1st, available for viewing on ABC. But something I've noticed, especially in this playoffs for the Bucks, 
is just the one guy coming off the bench and playing a pivotal role. Um, Pat Connington last night had 20 points, many threes from downtown, but one guy in particular. Now, Tony, we talk about being unbiased. We're from Wisconsin. We support the Bucks, but that means we also have to support Grayson Allen, who, me as a Badger fan, is probably one of my least favorite players of all time at the college level, but he is putting up numbers for the Bucks. So what do you think his presence means for the Bucks going forward in the playoffs? I mean, he's filling in a role that almost like a Dante DiVincenzo role, if you will. And he's really stepped up to the plate this postseason and even throughout the regular season. That's a great comparison to Dante DiVincenzo. But you're right. When you start to bring up Grayson Allen and you're from a Wisconsin market, you just get shades of, of bad memories and you get a sour taste in your mouth. And now he's playing for a Wisconsin team. And it's like, oh, my I got to be a fan of this guy. But I mean, he's had a productive impact on the Bucks throughout the course of this season. I mean, he's a guy that gets over 20 minutes now. He's gotten about mm-hmm. 20 minutes or over 20 minutes per game in every game of the Bulls series. So with Chris Middleton out, I think relying on that Grayson Allen presence from three, you know, he can hit some threes. He went three of six, six of seven, five of seven. And then that one game versus the Bulls game two, he went 0 for two. So if he has that perimeter presence, then I think – the offense can start to click around him when he comes off the bench and gets those valuable minutes because he's going to be in such a huge part off the bench. I love the Dante DiVincenzo comparison. Miss Dante a lot, but I think Grayson's going to be a guy that who will have to step up and fill those shoes and make all of his 20 to maybe 25 to maybe even 30 minutes now per game valuable and productive for Milwaukee, especially from the perimeter. Yeah, looking at Grayson Allen's stats, he averaged 13 points a game in that Bulls series. So definitely more of that will be needed going forward in the Celtics series. Now, we're going to wrap up our NBA talk in just a second, but I think the world is just in shock of what John Morant for the Memphis Grizzlies has done. Obviously, he's a versatile attacker of the rim. That's probably what he's known best for. He's putting up numbers. He was an all-star starter. He's just a couple rebounds less than two rebounds shy of averaging a triple-double this postseason. But that dunk he had the other night, that is I'm, – I'm looking at Michael Jordan's early years, especially as they described it in the last dance, and just some of the stuff that John Morant is doing. He is – now, this may be very far-fetched of me to say, but he might be the point guard version of Michael Jordan. Now, give it mm. give it a lot of time. I know that's a very bold statement, but – just some of the stuff he's doing. I mean, this guy out of Murray State can really do it all. So the T-Wolves coming off their hot, high-end confidence from the play-in series, definitely putting up a fight. I predicted that I wanted to see a Grizzlies-Heat finals. But throughout that, John Morant has been, without a doubt, putting on a show for us NBA fans, Tony. I mean, that's very reminiscent you're right of someone like MJ or someone who's had just incredible dunks and plays throughout their career I think of Vince Carter and some of the plays that he had throughout his like three decade career I think he played until he was like 91 or something like that I think John Moran and what he's doing for Memphis right now is making them a dangerous team and you know before I continue you and I being broadcasters, how about the call I and Eagle made on that dunk going all jawbreaker and was losing his mind along with the crowd. I mean, that was, that was a special <laughs> call from Ian on that play. But how does that make that 2019 draft class look 
now, the fact that Zion went before him, and we've seen what Zion has turned out to be throughout the early couple of years of his career, just have been an injury case and not really getting on the court at all. And then John Morant, who is John Morant's going to win an MVP someday. I think that's a given. I think Absolutely. everybody can agree. And it may be one, it may be two, it could even be three. This is a guy who, if he continues to develop, like you said, it might be a little too early to tab him as someone who is MJ-esque, but I think early comparisons, I don't think that's a sin to say this guy's going to turn out to be something special and something that people will remember him playing, especially with dunks like that. Forget about it. He's going to be someone who's going to keep his name relevant throughout the course of his career. Mm -hmm. And before we get into Brewers talk, I must say, you talk about his draft class, really, other than Tyler Hero, he's really been the standout. And John Morant is doing things that everybody wanted and expected Zion to do, but I mean, battling injuries, being that size as a basketball player is tough. And I mean, the rise back to the top for Zion is going to be slow and long. Yep. So that just about wraps up our NBA talk. So let's go to Brewer Baseball. Let's talk a little bit, a little bit about their month of April. Right now, they are a game and a half above the Cardinals in the Central Division. Um, I just got Tony and I were talking about the game today, April 28th. A uh, 3-2 win over the Pirates. Another sweep for the Brewers. They're on a 9-2 and run in their last 11 games. So today's game, as I was watching today's game, I was thinking about Andrew McCutcheon and how I wanted to talk about him today on the podcast. So right as I turn on the game at 11.35, first pitch, McCutcheon leads off against his former team. Deep shots to left field for a home run. Like I said, that was the first pitch of the game, and in the top of the ninth, he went on to get a two RBI single, which gave the Brewers the lead. And that makes their 45th come from behind victory since the beginning of last season. So this Brewers team has really shown all around great skill. Freddie Peralta today had a great one from the mound. So, Tony, you're the baseball guy here. Um, what's been what else has been going well for the Brewers during this current hot streak? I think schedule. And I'm going to be honest, you know, I don't want to be the guy who reigns on the parade. You know, they're off to this good start and they're on this nine and two tear. Look at the teams they've beaten. They're six and over to the Pirates. They played the Orioles. They got the Reds coming up on the schedule who are three and 15 as it stands right now. And I think with the way that their offense can just go absent sometimes, I mean, I don't know. And there's this whole discussion starting in Major League Baseball about what baseball and all these stadiums have humidifiers for the baseballs in their stadiums. And now, you know, there's discussion about what major league baseball as an organization is doing to the baseball pregame that is causing a decrease in runs and hits and all that stuff. Besides that, I think this has been a, a reoccurring problem. It's been a chronic problem for Milwaukee offensively to put together runs, to string together hits. And they did it today. You know, they, they just got done like five minutes before we started recording this podcast and they were able to do that. You know, they were down and they strung together a couple of hits on the Pittsburgh closer and they took the lead and they won three, two. So when they start to show that offense, then it's like, this is a team that can make a run, but I think what they do well is just play to their schedule. You know, don't play down to the teams. You, you don't into <laughs> the bad teams in the league. They split with the Cardinals. They, you know, had an all right series against the Phillies that game. They won on Sunday. There was, you know, a whole bunch of discussion about the umpire, Angel Hernandez. So it's like, it's, I'm not sold on the Brewers being a good team yet, but if they continue to play like this, if they continue to pitch this well, and that's what it was. That's the point I wanted to make was that Sunday game, Eric Lauer had 13 strikeouts. 
Well, did you see Angel Hernandez's strike zone? I mean, I could have struck out 10 guys against that strike zone. So I, I don't want to diminish it, but just take it with a grain of salt that it's still early. Umpires are kind of, you know, what they are. And the schedule has been kind of easy for them. So we'll see once things start to ramp up, once they get more Cubs games, once they get more Cardinals games, once they start to play the Dodgers and the Giants, some of these powerhouse teams in the National League, then I think it's really going to be indicative of the type of team that we have down in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And you talk about playing down to opponents. The Brewers really haven't had, I guess, one particular guy who's really stood out, at least at the plate percentage-wise. Defensively, Brewers have some great talent, but at the plate, Brewers don't have a single guy over a 250 batting average. Um, Andrew McCutcheon actually has 250 on the dot. Um, Willie, Willie Adams has had... A decent year slugging-wise, however, only 213 for him as well. So Brewers are definitely going to have to get the bats going. And we've seen them put up double digits some days and others maybe one or two or three runs like we saw today. So I feel like as the year goes on, the consistency will kind of flatten out. But another good point, Tony, playing down to their opponents. I guess it does make sense. Um, some of the teams they've been playing, especially the NL Central, who has been – not the best of divisions this year, but correct. once the Brewers start playing, they said those powerhouse teams in the NL, that'll determine more of things to come down the road. So, and now you talk about what the MLB is doing. I have an interesting conversation to have with you about just baseball in general. So it was actually an argument that came up with me and the teammates. It was April 14th, whatever our Thursday track meet was. And he goes up to me and he's like, do you think that all major league ballparks should have the same distance of outfield. Now I went ahead and looked up some of the shortest outfields in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays at Tropicana field have the shortest outfield in baseball. And now you also have factors like the green monster of Boston, the altitude of Colorado on um, the elevation towards the warning track of Houston. So I think that's something we all haven't really thought about or I guess that some people can point out, but all outfields are different. Now, my teammate, I'm going to call him out right now, Blake Retzloff, also brought up a point that why don't they extend the three-point line in basketball? Or why don't they move it in if you're the Golden State Warriors? So with that being said, what are your thoughts on Major League Baseball teams all having different outfield distances? It's a good good uh, discussion. I don't think... That is a very common one, but I, I don't think it's a bad one. I think that's a good discussion to have because free throw lines are all the same distance in the NBA or, you know, three point arcs. Or, and, and I think for football, it's the same thing too, right? Like there's, you get 10 yards and you get 15 yards and, you know, the 50 yard field goal is a 50 yard field goal, no matter where it is. But baseball has that piece of difference and, and, and authenticity to the parks that is unique that if you go on the road and you hit a ball, 335 feet it may be gone in some ballparks but not all of them and if you hit a ball on a line that's 400 feet it may be out of here in comerica park which has a short outfield fence i think it's like six seven feet or it might hit the green monster out in boston so there's always that as well i think for me i'm all in on different uh, outfield dimensions i just was talking about the Sunday night baseball game. I think I am a huge fan of the fact that Bryce Harper was being interviewed live on that broadcast. And he said that 
I think that's what be- what's beautiful about baseball is that every field is different and there's home field advantage. And that's true home field advantage for baseball. We love to see it. However, with Tropicana Field, that's a big point I made to my teammates. Being one of the shortest outfields in baseball, why haven't they produced offensively as they have also been known as one of the, I guess, lesser teams historically, especially in the last 10 years. So we're running out of time on the Zoom talk. So quickly, let's switch to the Packers draft talk. NFL draft takes place tonight. The big thing for the Green Bay Packers, they have two first round and second round picks. Now, I listened to the Tony G Nation show, which you guys should all check out this morning. It was a special on the draft. And Tony, you made the point that it's very likely that the Packers will trade one of their first or second round picks. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about that. So in what do you think the Packers will receive given they trade one of their first or second round picks? Well, one of the points that I was making there, and I said there's two things that I would put money on. One, that they don't take a wide receiver in the first round because they do not do that. And two, they always trade back in the draft. They always use one of their higher draft picks in the first or second round, and they always move back because they really do value those fourth and fifth and sixth round draft picks to add depth to their offensive line or to pick up another wide receiver that'll start his career on special teams or to pick up another linebacker. They love depth and they love those late round picks. So for that reason, I would take it to the bank that they do not. I would, I would fall on the ground, John, if I'm being honest, I would fall to the floor. If they made all five picks in the first three rounds, I would be flabbergasted because that's not what they do. I guarantee guarantee that one of those first four picks are gone. I say probably the first, first rounder. And if not that, probably the first, second rounder, they're going to move back because they always do that. Just knowing the Packers MO. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just their way. Don't expect them to make all five picks in the first three rounds. It definitely isn't a bad thing either. And I told you how my roommates were claiming that the Packers better draft a wide receiver in the first round. However, we the Packers have never historically needed to draft a wide receiver in the first round. Look round, look That's at true. some of the star wide receivers the Packers have had. Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, not first round draft picks, not big standout wide receivers in high school. I know a lot of People, especially my dad in particular, happy birthday, dad, by the way, I'm publishing this on your birthday. Happy retirement to you as well. But happy birthday, my dad happy won- retirement. My dad, he wants Chris Olave out of Ohio State, and he, he says yep. that would be ideal. But however, like the point you made in your episode, Tony, Green Bay does not prioritize wide receivers, especially in early rounds. So we see them draft wide receivers. Like a guy I like to point out in particular, Devontae Adams. Now, obviously, with the Raiders. However, when he was first drafted out of Fresno State, I didn't think anything highly of him. He wasn't that. Nobody really heard of him until he got drafted. The Packers did a great job of developing him into the star player he is today. So I feel like with that attitude going in as Packer fans, we should expect that the training staff and just overall developments of the Green Bay organization will turn these late-round pick receivers into reliable targets for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, absolutely. And they always do. I mean, they don't need the big name. It's like the Patriots thing. You know, they made Chris Hogan work and they won a Super Bowl with Chris Hogan as like their second wide receiver, third wide receiver. And it's like, well, that's all you really need. You just need a pass catcher who is fast or maybe not even just fast, but is good at something that makes him different from every, every other wide receiver that there is at that option. And they'll make him productive, especially with a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers definitely has the ability to make, I guess, some of the lesser known wide receivers into 
standout players because of his accuracy and playmaking ability. Right. So with that being said, I, I I'm willing to bet the Packers will draft a wide receiver in this draft. However, the, the point you made, it probably will not be in the first round, or I should say it definitely won't be in the first round, maybe second round. That's kind of pushing it, but give it third or fourth or fifth round Packers will have a wide receiver under their roster. And it does help knowing Sammy Watkins is under our wing for this year too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good security blanket to fall on that you have experience there. I say that first pick in the second round will be a wide receiver. The first two picks, no. So there's your prediction from Tony Giordano. So I'm going to talk as we close out a little bit about our guests. So this has been a production among two broadcasters. Tony and I called numerous basketball games this year for the men and women. It was a great year for St. Norbert basketball. Tony, I'm sure for you, especially after being unable to broadcast basketball your junior year. Um, I'm going to ask, what was your greatest moments on the call this year? I guess between you and I on the, on the call, what was your greatest moment? Oh, man, I'd say definitely with you and me, some of those Wisconsin Lutheran games for the basketball teams, both men and both women had phenomenal games against them. There was the two men's game that were just absolutely electric. Norb's Nation showed out for them. And then the women's game where they knocked off Wisconsin Lutheran, gave them their first loss of the season in the last game of the regular season. They were 20 and one after that game. So those were some of the great moments of this season. I would say Sebastian Dubois walk off home run just a couple of weeks ago for baseball off the scoreboard against Aurora, who came in ranked number 17 in the country. And for the green Knights who were predicted to finish like eighth, which is like third to last in the NACC baseball wise in the conference to beat off, to, to knock off a number 17 ranked Aurora was a huge moment. Definitely going to miss being on the call live with you over I'll the live stream. But be sure to tune in. Um, I will be working my tail end off to put together good content on the live air. So I'm going to talk a little bit more real quick as we finish up of what's to come of the Here's Johnny podcast. I talked about earlier in this episode that I would be starting a new series within the show. Um, I'm going to call this new series Green Knight Nation. Now, the reason I call that, I will be pulling aside St. Norbert College student-athletes upon popular request to be on the show. And the first episode will premiere Wednesday, May 4th. I'll have two track and field athletes, Audrey McCope, Audrey, Audrey McCope and Oren Castell, both national qualifiers for the men's and women's track and field team, respectively. And I'm going to talk about their high school days, um, what they like doing at the college level, their major, what they plan to do upon graduation, and just what it takes to be at the college level for collegiate athletics. So with that being said, Tony, would you like to shout yourself out real quick before we conclude this episode? Yeah, sure. At Tony G Nation on Twitter, at Tony Giordana on Instagram. Go to TonyGNation.com for anything of my work from writing samples to broadcasting to my podcast, The Tony G Show, season eight, which is the final season coming to a close within uh, the next week. Only two episodes left of The Tony G Show before I graduate and won't have a podcast anymore. I'll probably get back in the podcast game at some point, but the Tony G show final season, only two se- two episodes left next week. Thank you very much, Tony. And once again, thank you for being on today. Some of the final yeah, statements, for having me. of course, some of the final statements I like to make, we're running out of time here. Happy birthday, dad, happy retirement. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Hopefully you get the chance to listen to this episode. Um, once again, thank you for Tony for everything you've done for me, both on the air and through this podcast. Um, 
I'd like to thank my producer, David Tim, for editing all this and all of you guys for tuning in today. I really hope this can turn into something big or something big. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Here's Johnny Tim. So with that being said, thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to you tuning in next time.